Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a quote from Jane Austen and a little background on this quote. The Prince Regent was not popular, most people just didn't like him, including Jane Austen. However, he was a really big fan of her work. So she has this very kind of terse robotic dedication to him that goes to his royal highness. The Prince Regent, this work is, by His Royal Highness's permission, most respectfully dedicated by His Royal Highness's dutiful and obedient, humble servant. What a way with words. A very elaborate dedication. It's one of those things where it's a lot of words and it says, says nothing. nothing. <laughs> And speaking of the complete opposite of nothing, because we have a lot to cover in this episode. This week, we're going to be discussing Sanditon Season 3, Episode 2. And we are setting up a lot of different plot points that we are going to be following through the rest of the season. So we're going to start with a quick recap of what happened last episode. We're going to talk through some of the main events of this episode. And then we're also going to sprinkle in some fun facts and history knowledge for you all to enjoy. So let's start with a recap of episode one, previously on Sanditon. We met a lot of new characters which are getting set up for this season. Charlotte is engaged to her childhood friend, Ralph Starling, who is a very nice and simple farm boy. Georgiana had turned 21 and inherited her father's fortune, but her distant cousin, Charles Lockhart, has come back and is trying to reclaim that fortune and sues her. Edward Denham is going through his own rehabilitation and trying to prove that he is a changed man in order to regain his allowance and, and regain money, but he has now set his eyes on Augusta Markham who is Alexander Colburn's niece. Yes, for her fortune, but there may be something more growing there. Colburn is still pining after Charlotte, and we meet the Montrose family, a new family in town, who have their own scandal that they are looking to escape while their son, the Duke, is in a unique arrangement with Georgiana to keep his own secret hidden while Georgiana uses it to deter suitors. So that's not even everything that happened last episode, but those are the main points. So let's Let's start with the big event. The king is coming to Sanditon. King George IV is going to visit and it is a very big deal. I don't know if you pictured this in your head when I learned that like the king is coming to Sanditon. I flash back to that great moment in the Princess Diaries where Sandra Oh, who plays the principal yeah. of Grove High School, gets a call and is like, the queen is coming yes. to Grove High School. So the newly crowned King George is coming to Sanditon. Another little tidbit there, Lady Susan is the, she was the sort of first elite premier member to choose Sanditon as her vacation spot in the first season. She was a big deal because she was mistress to the king. She's got royal money. She's got stuff to spend. We're going to learn a little more about their relationship status lately, but Arthur, who is our resident party events planner, is stoked. Everything is going to be perfect. He has even booked this really big talent get, an American soprano named Miss Elizabeth Greenhorn to sing for his majesty. And it's a, it's a big deal. Like she's coming, he's coming, everyone's coming to Sanditon for this big event. Arthur's very excited about this. I mean, no one else is really talking about it, if I'm honest, <laughs> but that's because earlier on in the episode, we learned that the king is actually canceling. And so Arthur runs up to Lady Susan and he's like, did you know your boyfriend is not coming? And you know, with a heavy heart, she reveals they're not together anymore. 
anymore. She is not his preferred woman anymore. He's implying he's found someone younger who makes him feel younger. You know, Arthur is a very sensitive soul, and so he's hurt for Lady Susan. But he's also in this pickle where he's brought this famous American singer to Sanditon to have her perform for the king and the king is not there to perform for. And so Henry Montrose kind of like runs into Arthur as he's dealing with all of this and he's like, I have a plan. And I'm like, what's your plan? Is someone <laughs> like, I was really hoping someone's like not going to pretend to be the king because I'm like, that would, that would be too ridiculous. Too no, ridiculous. No, no. I mean, the, the funny thing is something that I have wondered for, you know, all olden time. Did anyone know what the king looked like? It's not like we had, they had TV and newspaper. I mean, they had newspapers, but like, it's drawings. There was no photography. Well, that was a, a bit of the point that Henry Montrose made was like, this American singer is not going to know the difference of like, who's the king and who's not. So you could just say that anyone is the king, really, and then she might believe it. Mm-hmm. But Arthur is overly honest. And he's like, I can't do that to someone. And I wouldn't want that done to me. So he very quickly reveals everything to the singer. And he's like, this is what's happening. I have to tell you the truth. And she really respects him for that. She does. Yeah. Yeah, even though there's like a weird part in the middle where, you know, she steps out of her carriage, which by the way, she's revealed to be a black singer, which we'll get more into like who she was based on in real life later on. Henry pretends to be the king's page. He's got like feathers and fur. And like, even in the show, he looks like he's wearing a costume. Like he looks like the Disney version of the Regency era. He looks out of place even there. It looks a little ridiculous. And this singer is like, this must be normal, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Let's dive into a history segment. King George IV's parents were King George III, also known as Mad King George III, and Queen Charlotte. Our king and queen in like the Bridgerton world is them. In 1788, he's basically mentally incapacitated for a little bit. And a big part of parliament is that the king comes on the first day of parliament, sits in his parliament throne, and he makes a speech, and that is the opener for parliament. He was not able to make it to give this speech. Parliament couldn't start until he did the speech. And everyone was like, this is ridiculous. We should not be in this situation. Like the government has to go on, you know, whether or not the king can make the speech. They put a regency law in place that says that if the king is incapacitated, they install a regent to take over his duties so that the government can still keep running. Cut to 1811. This happens again. This time parliament is ready. His eldest son, George, also named George, there's like 10 names back then. (laughs) He is installed as the prince regent. So their king is not ruling. He's alive, but he's unfit to rule. So his son takes over from 1811 to 1820. The things that need to happen happen, but he doesn't quite do all the responsibilities of a king. And then in 1820, when George III dies, is when King George IV is promoted from prince regent to king of England. So we are now in the summer after this has happened, and he is a brand new king. He ate a lot, drank a lot, gambled a lot. He loved seaside resorts. He loved spending money extravagantly. He was a womanizer, so he was pretty unpopular with the people. (laughs) That was very much kind of like the state of England's government. And Tom Parker was so excited to have him in town, but he's not coming. I mean, he sucks, but he is a, like, I think the king is a a pretty big get, you know? (laughs) It's like, if you could have the prince regent or a king, wouldn't you rather have the right, king? Right, right, I mean, like in real life, I think he liked to vacation at Brighton, which is a seaside town, mm. but this is, this is Brighton's competition. This is Sanditon. Yeah. 
Let's dive back into the episode. Let's talk about Georgiana's fight for her fortune. So as we saw previously, Lockhart has sued Georgiana for her inheritance, claiming that she is unfit and unworthy of her late father's fortune. She and the Parkers have been searching everywhere for a lawyer to represent her, but they keep getting turned down. Charlotte and Georgiana are discussing this when Alexander Colburn overhears their situation and decides to take it upon himself to help without telling them. So he reaches out to his older brother, Samuel, who is an accomplished lawyer, and they have not spoken in 10 years. They have their own brother drama that we will get into later, but he agrees to come to Sanditon and take on the case. In his first meeting with Georgiana, he really goes through this intense session of accusations against her and really exemplifying what she is going to face in the courtroom. There was nothing improper. You live alone. How would we know? Because I am saying it. You have a reputation. For what? Rebel rousing. You're vocal in your condemnation of slavery. Of course and I And yet it is because your father wooed your mother that you are here. You are the very product of slavery in this land. Without it, you would not exist. Did your father's My slave, mother's name is Agnes. Did she set out to seduce him? No. A woman of such low Stop. morals whose only desire was to trap That's a decent enough. man. It's overwhelming and it's awful, but he tells her these are the exact claims that Lockhart and his lawyer are going to be using against you in order to gain your fortune. So in a way, it is emotionally preparing her as well for these claims. And this is not even everything that she is going to face. There's likely going to be more evidence presented. And so he's really stressing the importance of the fact that she is going to need to maintain her composure in court, especially for a woman and especially a black woman. If she has any kind of outburst, it's just going to negatively impact her, which is not the same for a white man in court. If they have an outburst, they're just going to be seen as passionate. But if it is a woman, a black woman, she's going to seem unhinged, unruly, and all these things that could really hurt her case. So it's a case in a very delicate balance, but Samuel Colburn is up to the job and he's willing to help her. Yeah, and I mean, she doesn't even accept right away. If you're being sued, you don't have to show up to court. She considers just letting this happen in absentia, but she has to kind of accept that if she doesn't show up, the likelihood that she's going to get her fortune diminishes significantly. So it's like, essentially give up your fortune by not showing up to court or have a shot and endure this humiliation and just like watch these horrible men say these things to you. Yeah. And it takes some convincing, but Charlotte kind of towards the end of the episode finally sways her that it's worth fighting for. You know, that like, it's not fair that she's put in this situation at all. She's someone who can rise to the occasion. She shouldn't just let this man take her money. I mean, this is really the final, hopefully, one of the final obstacles she's trying to face. I feel like it's not just Samuel Colburn that's behind her. It's really all of Sanditon that's behind Georgiana on this. Everyone is supportive of her and, and she's become such a beloved part of the community. So she's not alone in this. But in the case of being in the courtroom, she is going to be alone. Yes, she's going to have a couple people there with her, but it's going to be her alone on a stand and having to defend her honor. And that's a really difficult position to be in, which is why she has great friends like Charlotte to really encourage her and be there for her. So it's tough because like when you when you just see like everything presented against her and and where she's at and her status and everything, it feels like she may not have a chance. But I mean, we can only just hope that things turn out in her favor. Let's transition into another historical fact. 
the illustrious, amazing American soprano Elizabeth Greenhorn that Arthur finds was based on a real person. It took place like 30 years after Sanditon during the Victorian era. So she was based on a real woman named Elizabeth Greenfield, not Greenhorn. And she was a very popular black opera soloist who traveled the US and then she traveled Europe. She actually traveled to London in 1853 with the Duchess of Sutherland and Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote the very famous book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. She was the first African-American woman perform for British royalty a year later in 1854. A lot of times we don't often see this side of history. And yes, even though the time is a little different, they're kind of meshing it all together and it makes for an interesting story. So let's go into our last recap for episode two, which I am referring to the glove incident, trademarked. This is about the re-blossoming, if you will, of Charlotte and Colburn's romance. So everyone's trying to keep it professional. You know, no one's got any feelings. Charlotte (laughs) is engaged, but Charlotte and Colburn are sitting alone together when they're at Colburn's house. And, you know, Colburn's basically like, so you're engaged. That's cool. (laughs) They're not really saying any of the things that they're feeling, but there's a moment where she drops her glove. And instead of playing it cool... He, like, dives on the ground, gets on one knee, and, like, presents her glove to her. It's like, it's like a proposal, and it's just, like, they both realize it in the moment, what this looks like and what this means, and they're like, here's your glove. (laughs) In my opinion, could he have been more chill about this? Absolutely. It's not hard to just reach down and be like, oh, hey, you dropped this, you know? Yeah. That's the chill thing to do, not to like dive to the ground and then like (laughs) present it to her on one knee. And and you may think that we're done here, but we're not done here. In the final scene during Miss Greenhorn's performance, they're seated next to each other. She is wearing this glove, but it's almost what I would describe as like a La La Land handholding for those of you who've seen that scene where they're like next to each other and the pinkies touch. It's just like barely there. I mean, they don't like hold hands, but it's just, uh, it's some hand touching. And if Pride and Prejudice 2005 has taught us anything, this is another kind of like not a sex scene sex scene, in my opinion. It's gloved hands touching, and that is as close as they can get. She is an engaged woman. He is still in love with her. Feelings are being felt, but they cannot be said. So this is as close as they can get. Charlotte has been very reserved with Colburn, obviously, because she is engaged. But it's interesting to see that she is, in a, a very tiny way, initiating some contact with him. And they are civil to each other in public. And I mean, like, the feelings for her didn't just go away either. Yes, she ran, she ran back home and she got engaged to the guy that her father wanted her to get engaged to. That doesn't mean those feelings are are gone now. Much like in season two, she was dealing with the heartbreak, but then also mourning Sydney Parker in a very complicated way where she felt like, well, I have no right to mourn someone who I wasn't engaged to or married to. Like, he has a widow. I have no right to it. And yet she did feel that heartbreak. And now, in the kind of same way, she's like trying to avoid the heartbreak and, and dealing with the processing of that. And she just dove right into something new. So those feelings are still there. They are not resolved. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a two-parter. I mean, she doesn't want to go too far down that road with him because she is engaged and she wants to be respectful of Ralph. But Colburn 
is the exact guy that broke her heart, where they got really close to each other. And then he was like, gosh, what even happened? It, it was just so one of those like crazy miscommunications where it was, yeah. you know, he was just like, he kissed her and he was like, that was really inappropriate of me. I shouldn't have done that. We should keep things professional, but you probably don't want to work here anymore, right? Yeah, and that's she, just she a felt lot picked of- out. The kind of miscommunication happened with like what he told the kids was like, oh, she chose to leave. And she was like, well, things didn't work out. And so they're like, what's the truth? What happened between you two? Why is she no longer our governess? Colburn, I think he is a good man. He wants to take care of his girls, his charges. He rode to London nonstop. It was a very Colonel Brandon thing of him (laughs) to do, to just mysteriously jump on a horse, go to London, bring back his drunken brother and be like, you're going to take this case and, you know, I'll pay you even if you lose, but, like, you have to take the case. Also a very Darcy thing to do, to just kind of go behind the woman he loves back to do something nice for her and and the person she loves. There is goodness there, but... What good is that if you're not going to show the person you love that you love them? I think in his way, this is this is it, right? This is his love language. <laughs> his, his action is like through action. Like so going off to get his brother for Georgiana, who is Charlotte's best friend. This is his roundabout way of saying and showing her, I still care for you. I care about the people in your life because it so impacts you. She's such an empathetic person. Yeah. She really feels for everyone around her. So if someone in her life is is going through something, he wants to help them because that means he's helping Charlotte. So this is like his way of trying to do something, but not directly do something where he is interfering with her engagement. I mean, I think Charlotte needs words of affirmation. She, d- I mean, <laughs> and who a doesn't? commitment. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I don't think she's insane for wanting someone to want her. And yeah. he's pining for her, for sure. It- it's weird because he is showing up for her, but not in the way that she needs. And mm. I don't think that's... It's not insane of her to be really cautious of this guy. No, I mean, it's back to the season two miscommunication. Like, one person has feels a certain way. They don't want to say it first. The other person says the, the wrong thing. And so now they're like, oh, we're not on the same page. So I think both of them don't know where they're at. And the gloved hand touching really kind of throws them both off because they're like, wait, is there still something? Is there still a spark for something more? They both spent a couple of months trying to bury those feelings yes. in the ground. He absconded to Bath, tried to forget about her. She ran back home, got engaged to this guy that she's known her whole life. And that was kind of supposed to be the end of it. And now they're kind of thrust back together. And I think they're both pretty horrified to still feel something for each other. You know, my question for the upcoming rest of the season, your move, Colburn. What are you going to really not just like kind of show that you care about the people in Charlotte's life? Are you going to walk up to her and tell her that you like declare passionate love for her? And the other big thing is is seeing Georgiana's case. How is that going to unfold now that she is willing to fight and she's going to travel to London with Samuel Colburn and, and some of the other ladies to accompany her? That's going to be a big thing of is she going to be able to keep her inheritance? So we will get that and more answered in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in this week. Next week, we'll be discussing Sanditon Season 3, Episode 3. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us with any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. 